It's just like when you uh, call up into a call center and you and you say, "Hey, how you doing? Uh, can I check that flight?" And they're like, "Please hold." And then you say, "Okay, I'm just gonna hold. I'm just gonna sit here on the, listening to the hold music." And they're like, "You know what? I don't think it's the network. I just don't exactly know how to prove it." But we bring up Wireshark and we see these black lines with these red letters, and we're like, "Oh no! Oh, the sky's falling. The network's being ripped apart at the seams." So let's actually see what's really going on. Avocate. Hey everyone, it's David Bumble back with Chris. Chris, you've got a really interesting topic to talk about today. I do. At least I think it is. And that's how to filter traffic with Wireshark. Yeah, it's it's a problem, isn't it? Because you've got like, we spoke about it last time, you've got all this traffic. And um, how do you find stuff? Um, so I'm I think if you if I if I remember correctly, you're going to show us about Wireshark filters. Is that right? Absolutely. So that that's really a big topic that we have to, especially being Wireshark users, troubleshooters. It's super easy to end up with this mountain, this huge, huge haystack full of packets, and we got to dig in and find the needle. So the faster we can get to that needle. Uh, the faster we're going to be able to resolve problems, find cybersecurity issues, all the above. And filters are a big part of that. Yeah, so take it away, Chris. Show us what you've got. Okay, so so what I'd like to do, David, I'm going to show you a few filters that uh, not only do I use in my consulting practice, these are just common filters that I like to use, but also ones I like to make sure people are aware of. Sometimes you might go, oh, I didn't know I could filter that way. That's awesome, right? So, so these are things that I've picked up from other analysts or just found out by tinkering on my own. Really something that I've found too uh, in my training classes, also on my YouTube channel, is just teaching people how to build those filters and remember them. Because let's face it, sometimes the syntax can be difficult to remember, right? Like, what was that? Was it IP dot adder dot or whatever? Like, wh how do I build that filter? That's what I want to talk about today, just some common ones that people use. So I think- Yeah, I've had a lot uh, of feedback on our videos where people have said, you know, the- um they didn't know how to. They didn't know how to that they could drag like filtering as an example. They didn't know some of the filters that you were showing last time. So, yeah, looking forward to this. Yeah, awesome. Okay, well, good. Uh, you can see my screen, all right? Yep. Okay, fantastic. So, uh, the first thing I'm going to do is just set a regular IP filter, but we're going to talk about it too. So, how do we do that, everybody? How do we set just a standard IP filter? If I just want to filter in on a single machine, let's just pick this address right here, 192.168. I want everything coming and going to that guy. All right, so let's go up. We're just going to do IP.adder. If I wanted that station to be the source, okay, SRC, source. If I want it to be the destination, DST. But in this case, I want it to be either one. I don't care if it's going to or coming from that station, go ahead and show it, ip.adder, and now we can just do 192.168. Okay, so boom, I got my filter, and down here on the lower left, I take a look at my number of displayed packets, and I can see that my filter worked, I have some things that matched it, and now I can start to do a little bit more tinkering. So that's just a common filter, that's standard. You're gonna use that all the time. Let's go ahead why and do they do? Why do they have two equal signs? Is there a reason for that? So it's the standard syntax of the way that Wireshark's gonna be doing its um, equals. You can actually have three equals there and that means something slightly different. I don't think I've ever used that one. Um, you can also have things like, okay, IP address does not equal. This is where we could come in and we can put an exclamation point in there. Uh, we could also, with some of the other filters I'm gonna show you, we can also use a greater than symbol, a less than symbol. So really just depending on the type of filter that we're looking at, we always need to first give Wireshark 
We need to tell it, what field are we focusing in on? And then do I want that field to equal something, to not equal something, or to give it a range? This, this first one, um, what I like to do, so I, I really do start off with that. Just, just, let's just take an IP address and just see where we can go from there. So I, 192.168.10. All right. So from there, now I go, okay, I, I've got the address, but now maybe I want to fine tune that a little bit and start thinking about like a protocol or a port number. Well, once I have the address, then I can come here and I can just say ampersand ampersand. See that, or I can use the English word and, huh, right there. Either one will allow me to then make an addition to this filter. Now I can start to go, okay, how about, uh, I can see it right here, TFTP. What if I do and TFTP? Hit enter, and I can see my, my uh, packets on the bottom, they disappeared. So now I'm being real specific. I'm saying everything to and from that device on this specific protocol Go ahead and apply it. That's a basic plain Jane one. You're going to do that all the time if you're working around in Wireshark. Can you do or as, instead of and, is that right? Absolutely, you can. In fact, uh, why don't we take just a quick little, uh, I know neither one of us, David, are slide people, right? We really aren't. We like to, we're not yeah. much into PowerPoint slides. But I am going to show you one that is just going to help us to see a couple things here. Okay, so here's some common filters that that you can use with Wireshark. So you saw the syntax for just a single address. Also where we can make it a source or a destination. Another one that I use a lot is going to be the address range. So you see ip.adder equals, and then you give it the address or you give it the network number. And you see, I got my slash 24 there. So that's how I can denote an entire subnet. And that slash 24, going to the CCNP people, CCNA people, uh, learning how those subnet masks work and, and the bit level filtering what we can do, uh, we can give it any range. I could say 10, 0, 0, 0, 0, slash 8. So I just want to see all the 10 addresses. Uh, so that's a nice one to use when we don't, we're not really specific on a, a specific address on its own. Maybe I want uh, these 10 addresses, any of those will do. So I can back up that subnet mask and I can um, adjust it accordingly. Um, a couple a couple other ones that I use quite a bit, uh, port numbers. So we have here we have tcp.port equals 80 or within the TCP protocol, I do a lot of flag filters. Uh, so tcp.flags.sin. These are some common ones, but as we're learning how filters go together, a nice thing about Wireshark is that it will help you. So if you mess up a filter, it's going to show red there. So back to your question about equals or one equal sign, uh, that's not the proper syntax for our filter. So if I miss, if I just put in one equals, it's going to show red. It's going to say, hey, Chris, you missed something here. Go review this. I didn't like it. And then uh, when I get that syntax proper, then it'll show for me. Now to the operators. Here's some of the operators we need to use, okay? So you can use either the top row or the middle row. So either the two equal symbols or the English EQ, or we can use, okay, if I wanna say not, I can see exclamation point or the word not. The or, so it's a double pipe or the word or. Two ampersands or the word and. Greater than symbol, GT, or less than um, LT. Notice below that, I have a filter here and that's set. So ip.adder and notice I say EQ. So that's the English and then uh, the IP. But then I use the symbols, ampersand, ampersand, TCP. I can use either one. It's all up to you. What's your style? Some people like to use all the English on the bottom. Some people like to use just symbols. Wireshark doesn't care. 
I kind of use a combo. I get my own style going and then I just figure out and see what happens. All right. So those are some common filters. So let's go ahead and set some filters and use the Wireshark interface to help us to build it because there might be some people out there thinking, okay, uh, this is great, but I still don't know exactly how to build these filters. Let's go back into Wireshark. So Chris, is there a way that people can get hold of that like PowerPoint? Because it's, it, it's a nice summary. Oh, for sure. Absolutely. Um, it's actually a part of a course that I have coming up. And oh, that's gonna be, it's gonna be all about getting started with Wireshark. And those slides came from the section about Wireshark filtering and how we can build them and even save them into profiles and make more use of display filters. So coming to a Udemy near you. So depending on when you're watching this, I'll have a link below um, and you can get them as part of Chris's Udemy course. Chris, that's great. Awesome. Okay, good. Now let's go ahead and go back into our PCAP. Let's make this practical, like down to earth. How do I really set filters? Now I'm going to be honest, I'm not much of a typer. I don't like hammering them out, typing them out. It's just eh, too much keystrokes and too much opportunity for me to mess it up. So what I like to do is I often will use some of the other features of Wireshark first. So let me show what I mean. I'll come up to statistics, for example, and come down to conversations. And then I'll take a look at TCP, for example. Now, a lot of times people, they'll send me a PCAP and they say, hey, uh, look at this weird file transfer or check out this strange whatever. So what I can do from a high level is I can take a look here first and I can say, all right, what IPs do I have? What is talking to what? What is it likely that they're wanting me to focus in on? I can sort the bytes column. I can jump back to the top here. Hey, this looks like a juicy little conversation, 65 kilobytes. Maybe that's the one they want. Let's right click there, apply as filter, selected, A to B, B to A, click. Boom, close, there's my filter. I just saved myself from needing to type out ip.adder equals equals ampersand ampersand tcp port. You get the picture. It took the four tuple out of the statistics and it put it up here for me. There's my filter. Now this is a, a pop conversation. I can start to come through and now use some other aspects of Wireshark to do some further digging. All right. So right click filtering. Just right click. It's easier. I can even do that from here. I can just show you a little bit further. If I right click a packet. I can come down to conversation filter, and now I give Wireshark the uh, basis for the filter. Okay, so do I want the basis to be the MAC addresses? So is this gonna be between these two MACs? I wanna see everything going on. Uh, is it between the IPs? So if I have several different TCP conversations on top of one IP conversation, I could say, hey, just show me the IP addresses. Or if I wanna be specific to the TCP four tuple, which is the two IPs and the two ports, that's where I come down to TCP, and I could have set the same thing that way. Also, a very common filter. Th those are things I think I do, I would almost say this is the one that I use the most, right? TCP conversation filters like that. Now, there's a few other ones that I also would suggest people know about and even save as a part of their profile. Okay, and I'm gonna show you one of mine. If I come up here to, uh, over here on the top right, no doubt you noticed that there's quite a bit of uh, buttons that I have up here. So what I can do is I can start to save filters when I create a filter that I like. I can go, you know what? I never wanna have to type that again. I wanna come up here to plus and I can name it and then I can add it to my filter buttons. Now I'm gonna cancel this one because that's an unlikely one that I need again. 
But if I come here to TCP connection, this is actually a menu that I created. I'm gonna show you how to do that. And then I have all the buttons that are TCP connection filters under it. So you can see some of the ones that I have in this profile, bad TCP. That's gonna show me retransmissions, dupe acts, uh, TCP act unseen segment. You notice the filter that I use to get that? It's called tcp.analysis.flags, ampersand, ampersand, not TCP analysis window update. So Wireshark natively, when it sees a TCP thing happening, like something bad, like a retransmission or um, a dupack or anything like you see here, uh, it's gonna flag it as a TCP analysis flag. It's gonna say, hey, uh, David, there's something wrong here. You should go check this out. That files under TCP analysis flags. Now for me, window updates, aren't necessarily a problem in of, of themselves in all cases. All that means, a TCP window update just means, um, hey David, we're connected, so you're sending me data and I have room for uh, 10,000 more bytes. Oh wait, I just cleared out some data. I've got room for 12,000 bytes now. Oh, 13, right? If I update my window, then that means that I'm just telling you about more window size. That That is a TCP window update. Now, um, for me, that's not going to be as uh, like, like a critical problem. In fact, in Wireshark, we don't even paint it black and red. Um, it's just a, and in fact, let me see real quick. So you're looking before, at all flags, analysis flags, where something's gone wrong except that one. Is that right? Correct. Yeah. Like here I have one. You see this TCP window update? Let's actually investigate it real quick. Let's go on a little side tangent, shall, shall we? Now this station, it, it act data above. So server was sending, looks like an email down to this station. Station said, thank you. Thanks for all that stuff, Mr. Server. I just clicked this, this packet and you can see on packet 239, there's my check mark. That means packet 240 is acknowledging everything up to 239. I'm good to there. Well, right after that, the client sends a TCP window update. So let's peek real quick at what that what that actually means, what it was doing. If I go to the packet previous, I'm gonna come here to the TCP, gonna come down here to window, and you can see this is 58,280. So, th so that means it still has room for 58K more bytes. So if I take a look at the next packet down, the, the window size just went up to 64. So his buffer grew by a little bit, or, or rather his buffer was probably cleared out so the application had data process, process, processed out of it, and he's now got room to accept more data. So that's why a window update, I don't usually focus too much in on that. Uh, if I come back to bad TCP, that's why I wanna see all TCP events that are retransmissions, dupacks, things like that. So that's what that filter will catch for me. Okay, cool. So let's do this. Um, you know, we, we can probably even cut and paste this one down into the notes down below, but really all we do is we just take, pop that guy in, and then all you got to do is come over here to plus, and then to add it as a button, we could say uh, TCP flags, all right? That alone as a button will be added to the top right. In fact, I'm going to go ahead and do that. I'm just going to say, okay. And you notice that we have TCP flags over here? 
Yep. Great. That just means if I remove this filter and I come back over here, TCP flags, wonderful. I never have to type that in again. Now I know about any TCP events, retransmissions. By the way, in the real world, David, if I see retransmissions and a bunch of dupacks and things like that, I start to hunt after packet loss. That means that TCP is having a hard time getting data across. If I come up to TCP flags and there's nothing here and it's clean and there's no retransmissions, dupacks, anything like that, then guess what? I say, hey, network guys, we're not dropping packets. Cool. It, it might not be the network. <laughs> yeah. We can start take, looking at latency and other things like that. But anyway, so I, I start to get real busy up here. So you know what I want to do? I'm just going to right-click that TCP flags. I'm just going to say edit. And what I'm going to do is in front of this label, I'm going to come over here and I'm just going to say TCP con. Okay, because that's the name of my menu up there, slash, slash. Now, Wireshark will nest TCP flags under the TCP con menu. And then I say, okay. So now I've doubled. I, I had one that said bad TCP and I have TCP flags. I'll remove that later. But anyway, this shows you how people can start to nest these filters. And if you notice some of the ones that I have up here, another common one that, that I use is TCP reset. I want to know when one side or the other aborts a connection. That's important to me. In this case, I know, because I captured part of this PCAP, I know that I was doing a port scan with Nmap. So Nmap was just hitting on a lot of different ports that were closed, right? So those ports are coming back saying reset. But if I'm in an application environment and something that I'll listen for from my customers, if they say, oh, Chris, it was really weird. Uh, we, you know, we try to use this application and it just suddenly shuts down. Or I try to connect to that TLS server and it just won't connect. A lot of times things I'll look for are resets. That's a nice filter to have and not have to type it out. I just go up to reset and there we go. All you got to do everybody, tcp.flags.reset equals equals one. Let's go ahead and save that and then you can nest it if you choose to. Now, where do I get that reset from? Uh, let, let me go ahead and talk about that for just a moment. In the TCP header, if I come down to flags, if I expand that out, the reset bit, if you look down in the lower left down here now, I got tcp.flags.reset. So here's another feature of Wireshark. Look, I'm not a filtering genius. I'm not, I'm not a filtering genius. <laughs> That's what you say. <laughs> I don't need to be. Wireshark tells me all of the syntax right down there. So if I ever have anything in the packet at all that I wanna filter for, if you see it here, you can filter for it. Any of this, calculated window size, look at that. TCP.window underscore size. Uh, it just shows boy, again, Chris, if, do you have to, you can drag it to the top or you can you just right click or something. How do you get it to that, uh, into the top part of it? Uh, oh, uh, how do I apply the filter up as yep. a display filter? Yep. Okay, great question. So let's just say I wanted to filter on all packets that have a calculated window size of zero. If that's what I saw and I'm like, yep, that's what I want. I can right click it and pop it up to the display bar and I can just say, now it's going to ask me, it's going to say, hey, do you want to replace the filter that you already have? Do you want to and the filter that you already have? So do you want the filter and this? Or do you want the filter or this? Or do you want the filter and not this? Right? So it gives me some options. Uh, let's go ahead and say selected just to replace it and it automatically will apply that filter for me. So these are some of the features. Honestly, it, Sometimes in, in some of my courses, people come in and they say, you know, it's like, oh, the filtering, the filtering, it's just so hard to remember. 
and know what filters are useful. Well, keep in mind that Wireshark gives you these little hints. You always can find the syntax for any field in the lower left. And then like you just did, David, you can take an example of that field that you want to filter for, drag it up, and automatically that'll apply so you can see all the packets that meet that filter. I think the problem is like, how do you know which filter to use for which problem? And that's where your experience really comes in. It's like you, so you, what was your example? When people can't connect to something, then you look for resets, is that right? Yeah, that might be, especially if it was like an abrupt thing. If they tell me like uh, either disconnected or could not connect, something's blocking connection. My mind starts to go down, okay, reset. Or if you tell me it was slow in connecting, Okay, so let's take a look at the handshake and let's see, do we get retransmissions? You know, are we starting to see that kind of thing? Um, I have a couple other traces queued up for you, David, but uh, those oh, are great. the general yeah. ideas. The great thing here is you taking your experience, and I was just discussing this earlier with someone else today, you taking what you don't get in a book and telling us when to use it. And that's a hard thing to do. You know, often books just show you the interface and they show you the switches, but they don't show you when it's valuable to use those switches. Yeah. And for me too, like, like even in my trainings, if I don't use something, then I just tell you, forget it, act like it doesn't exist, move on. <laughs> because I can be honest and that I've never practically used that aspect or I just don't use that type of thing. Thing is, you do this day in and day out. So if you don't use it, I mean, there might be some edge cases, but for most people, it's not going to be that useful. Or in, in some cases, too, something else I ran into, um, a lot of people are in a certain place. They're in one network all the time, right? Yeah. So they might have that one application that's always running on port 13,470. And, you know, and there might be some filters we can build for them there. But, you know, for me, I'm jumping into different networks all the time, different applications, different environments, cloud, virtual, wireless, all kind of stuff. I just use, that's what I wanted the people to get from this session that we're having today, or here's some common filters themselves that I practically use, and also where I get it from. I, I just use Wireshark to help, help me build a cheat sheet. There's a few more I'd like to show you. What do you think? Yeah, it'd be great. I mean, it's, um, yeah, if you can give us the rationale of why the filter is used and then the filter itself, that, that's gold. Okay. Let's do this. I got one other type of filter that I want to make sure everybody's aware of. And so I showed you some basic ones. We looked at conversation. We looked at how to do a single IP filter, you know, between two endpoints. We looked at a, a port number. But there's some special filters, too, that are used. I use personally quite a bit with Wireshark. And that's going to be these three. So we have the contains matches, which would basically be the, the regex or the Perl compatible expressions. And then we have the in which is a membership operator, okay? So blah, blah, blah. what's all that mean? First of all, a lot of times when we're talking about um, a, a string, if we're looking for a string of actual text, okay? So let me flip back to my, my Wireshark here. All right, so if we're looking for a word, like an actual, if you see here in my, my Wireshark here, NTLMS, let's just say that was something that I was interested in looking for. Or here we go, desktop, right? So there's sometimes there's clear text in, in packets these days. And DNS, it's still there. There's a handful of other protocols. Even with TLS, in the client hello, we still have access to the website that we're trying to get to. So sometimes I can use that as a filter to try to trigger off of. But first, I got to be able to find out where that syntax is or where that, where that string is in the PCAP. 
So to do that, what I can do is I can come up here to my display filter, and this is where I can start to apply this. I'm just gonna do frame contains, and let's use this as, as an example, NTLMS, okay? Now contains is very specific. It's gonna say, okay, anywhere in the frame, so starting from ethernet, any packet that contains this string specifically, go ahead and show it. Okay, I only had three appear. Now, the reason why I like frame contains, and I've seen some people come in, they say IP contains or TCP contains or DNS contains. Well, I don't wanna be overly specific. What if uh, I want that string and, okay, it's likely IP that I'm using, but what if it's IPv6? Or what if it's another type of protocol? Well, regardless, I don't care what's contained within ethernet. If you see these characters, show the frame. And that's how we can look for a, a specific word. If, if I'm you just captured on another for, old link, it would still it would still capture. It's not just Ethernet, is it? It's just like any layer two, is that right? Whatever's in that frame, yeah. And and I'm yeah. going to be honest with you, it's been a while since I've tinkered yeah. with not <laughs> Ethernet two. So exactly, I, I'd have to test that. I'd have to test that. But yeah, if it if it can be decoded, I'm, I'm showing by, my age. Yeah, sorry, go on. <laughs> I'm sorry, David, we can't talk about token ring today. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but if I want to be specific to like, let's just say DNS or HTTP or this is where I could start to say, okay, I don't care about all the DNS. I want to know, do it. Do I have HTTP contains? So now looked at that protocol contains this string. That's one that I use uh, as well. Now let's flip this on its head a little bit. What if I wanted that string, but I don't know if... Man, I don't know if it's, if it's capital N, if it's lowercase TLMS, I don't know uh, if it's uppercase, lowercase. This is where I can come in and I can do frame matches. See, now the now it doesn't matter as far as the, uh, it's not case sensitive, right? So, so it contains matches, is case sensitive, yeah? Sorry. Cor correct, yeah, contains is case sensitive. Matches is not because matches gets us into more of a free flowing regex uh, filter expression afterward. Okay, so so this is honestly one that I use quite a bit, practically, uh, when I'm looking for a specific type of string. And a lot of times, look, just to give you a practical example, Dave, so uh, a couple of, I can't remember now, the, uh, there, there was, I think it was the last one that we did, the Nmap one. We were talking about how to trigger on specific yeah, yes. areas within a PCAP. Yeah. If you have like a, a lot of different PCAPs, right, and I wanna find where the person hit this website, or uh, they were going out and talking to this server. This is where what I can do is I can go in and I can set a frame matches, and then I can find where they hit that website. Now I have a bit of a context. I can widen around that, and I narrow down to a narrower part of, of traffic. That's the whole idea. I just want to narrow down the amount of packets that I'm dealing with to try to find that, that uh, needle in the haystack a little quicker. Now, let me show you, while we're still trucking along with our our uh, filters, a lot of times I might be tinkering with an application that has more than one port. So say for example, uh, how about a web application that supports both HTTP and HTTPS? So here I can come in, I can say, okay, TCP port 80, but I also want, or tcp.port equals equals 443. Okay, so that would give me both port 80 Port four four three, but it's also possible that they're using some other uh, some other non-standard port for web. So what if they're using port eight thousand? Let me just do or TCP port eight thousand. You see how I'm using a lot of these same statements? 
I'm like, TCP port, this, TCP port, this, TCP port, this. This is where instead what I can do is save myself some typing. Okay, so here on this, uh, for this filter, so instead of having this, this, or this, or this, or, what I can do is I can come in here and I can say in, TCP port in bracket 80 comma 443 comma 8000. Now I can give it a bunch of different parameters. I want this port or this port or this port or this port. I can even give it a range dot dot 8004. So now this will show all applications or ports that match any of these or are in the range between 8000 and 8004. Honestly, this is one that I use quite a bit too. And it's curly braces, yeah? Yes, exactly. On each side. I noticed one, something when you on the previous one where you did the equals, you didn't, on some you had space and some you didn't have space. So when it, like when it's a operator like equals or something like that, you don't, the spacing isn't important, but it's important between the words, yeah? That is correct, yes. So you were saying, okay, like, like that, 80. Yeah. I could have that or, or I can have the spaces. That's totally a style thing. Wireshark does not matter it, or it doesn't care. Okay. Let's back up a second. We've learned how to do an, an IP address. We've learned how to do a conversation. We've learned a port number. We've learned how to look for a specific string, like a text value that's anywhere in a packet. Now let's use some of the features of Wireshark to start to find delays, lag. Like, can I build a filter that would show me slow? I mean, does that sound useful to you? Oh yeah, that, that doesn't sound easy though. Yeah, okay. Well. Thankfully, we got Wireshark. So I'm going to show you, there's several different time filters that Wireshark has built into it. You just got to know that they exist and then learn how to filter for them. So here on this PCAP, uh, first thing I'm going to do, just let's just go ahead and set our port 80 filter. In fact, you know what I'll do? Um, instead of port 80, I'm actually going to come back here and do HTTP. Now, what's the difference? Well, you notice that a lot of my green lines and red resets and all of that went away when I did HTTP. Now I've got the pertinent payload part. Ooh, three P's in a row. That's, <laughs> this, is, this is the actual application communicating. When I say TCP port 80, I'm asking for the handshakes, the acts, the resets, the fins, the, all the underlying TCP chatter, as well as what's being carried within that conversation. When I say HTTP, I'm like, okay, get, get rid of the transport layer. I don't need that handshake. I don't need all that stuff. Just give me the actual payload, the gets, the responses, the post, and so on. And that's what we can see over here. If I say HTTP, this is where I can come in and you notice here that Wireshark is saying, okay, Chris, this packet here, 1122, goes with this packet, 1166. You see those arrows? Now I have a way to measure response time, but Wireshark helps me out. If I take a look at this second packet, let me look at the response, and then I can come down into my HTTP part of my packet. If I expand HTTP, you see time since request right there? Now in those braces, in those brackets right there, Anytime Wireshark presents information that's in those, that is a Wireshark-derived value. This isn't actually a part of the HTTP protocol. This is Wireshark doing you a solid. Wireshark's like, hey, uh, just so you know, that was 59 milliseconds, so 
right now I'm out, right? But the cool thing, check out this thing in the lower left, HTTP.time. I can now filter on that. So check this out, HTTP.time. Let's filter on that. And this is, this is your local machine time, isn't it? So it's like when it captured the first packet and then when it saw the response, is that right? This is from whatever captured it. Correct. Actually, yeah, capturing actually each, device, yeah. Yeah, whatever capture device, when this packet came in, it got a timestamp. Boom. And now my machine is representing it according to that timestamp. And also considering my, if I have time of day like I have here, it's also considering my um, time zone, unless I have it set up with UTC. But that was a good question. Yeah. So, in other words, so now, it's like you did the IOTA thing last time in our other video. You used like a little device to capture a whole bunch of traffic at um, Y speed, and then you you take that off, and then you that you could have captured that say in the UK, or someone sent you a capture file from the UK, and then when you open up in Wireshark, it just changes the time zone, but the timing is based on that device that captured it in the UK. Correct. Correct. It's well, actually, technically, it's based on seconds since 1970, January 1st. So, <laughs> <laughs> but I mean, time. The, the time is based on how, how do I say yeah. the like the delays and it, stuff between the packets is based on that device that did the capture, which could be in the UK, but you were looking at it in the US. Yeah. Good man. Good man. So yeah. So the time and place it, when I capture, I'm bringing traffic in and I give it a timestamp. And that timestamp is universal. If I then, so if I'm capturing this, if I'm looking at it in, if I'm in the United States, for example, if I'm capturing at 10 a.m. and I say, hey, David, check this out, and you're in New York, and I email it to you, it's going to look like it was captured at 1 p.m. Okay, so you. adjusts it, yeah. If, yeah. You, if you have time of day here, not UTC, if you wanted to see what I saw, then you would come up to view, time display format, UTC. Yeah, so this that's important because, in other words, if you if you start sending stuff across time zones, you've got to remember to set it to the time zone of the place that did the capture. If you otherwise, it it, yeah. it messes with your brain, doesn't it? Because oh. I could send you a capture, and it, it, like it could be the following day, or you send me a yeah. capture. It could be, I, you could send it in your evening, and to me, it's the next day. Yeah, that kind of thing. Yeah. Yeah. So it gets a universal timestamp, and that's a great point. You know, sometimes yeah. I'll be teaching my classes, and I have people from India, from yeah. uh, the UK. I've got people from South Africa, all and from the United States, all in my Zoom. Yeah. And I say, all right, everybody, let's open up a PCAP. And if everyone has time of day, everyone's going to see something different. And that's so the what default. I do is yeah? I say uh, the default is actually seconds since beginning of capture. That's okay. where we start start a stopwatch, and it shows us when a packet came in. But if I want to see, for example, what time of day did something come in, that's where I can come into view, time display format, time of day. Or if I just want everybody to be on UTC. So what I'll do is I'll, I'll tell my my uh, the students in my course, all right, everybody, go UTC. So we're on the same yeah. time reference. Yeah, otherwise, it gets confusing, yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah. And that was a good point, good catch. But this time... HTTP time is not uh, telling us the time of day. What it's telling us, if I come down here, it's time since request. So this is, I start a stopwatch on the request and I stop a stopwatch on the response. So this is an HTTP response. So let's go ahead and do this. Let me, uh, okay, I've already brought HTTP time up here, but what I wanna do, I'm actually gonna right click this and I'm gonna apply this guy as a column just to take a look at it. And here I can see for this entire PCAP, 
how long did it take for those responses to come back from the server? So this is application response time. Wireshark's already measuring this for me. So let's just say that I'm in a data center and typical application response time from a web server is, let's just take a look at this. Okay, 25 milliseconds or less, okay? I expect to see 25 milliseconds or less. And I want Wireshark to tell me, are any of them longer than 25 milliseconds or, or slower. So I can take HTTP time and I could say, show me HTTP time that is greater than dot 025, that's 25 milliseconds. Enter. I've got two that were slower than 25 milliseconds. I can now save that as a button and I can call that slow HTTP. Now you might be thinking 25 milliseconds, big deal. 25 milliseconds, that's nothing. Well, that's why I've got another trace file for you. I just wanted, so, so before you go there, Chris, can you, yeah. like real world, which time do you typically use? Like in your class, you said everyone to UTC. That makes sense because you've got all students in different time zones and it would be like really confusing to try and get people to look through the PCAPs. But like when you're doing this, do you, I mean, the person just sends you the PCAP and then do you, what time do you use to keep sanity? Uh, depending on the type of application, uh, one that I use quite a bit is going to be TCP Delta time. And I'm, I'm building to show you that one. Okay. This is yeah. the easiest way to show you with HTTP, but that's a great question. If I start to see long delays coming back from servers that are, yeah, more than, I start to think in terms of what would, what would a human being actually observe, right? You and I don't really know what 0 0.025 is. But we do know what one second is. We start to know yeah. a lot if we experience one second a lot of times. So I think, you know, about half a second if I start to see anything longer than that. But if everything around it is 50 milliseconds, half a second is 10 times longer. So that's where, for me, I'll, I'll take a filter like this and then I'll just be up here and I'll start to play with these numbers, right? I'll start to adjust it and I'll go, hmm... You know, let's take a look at, okay, is anything 100 milliseconds? No, okay, all right. So that's where I can start to move these filter numbers around to fit into that uh, troubleshooting exercises that I'm up to. But are you ready to see one? Okay, what's the standard complaint as network engineers? You and I are yeah. network engineers. What do we hear all the time? Yeah, network's too slow. Yeah, exactly. Okay, so let me bring this up, this next It's always one. our fault, Chris. <laughs> I know, right? Yeah. And then who do, yeah, exactly. We Guilty until proven innocent, yeah. So you ready to see one where the network was slow? All right, everybody, join me on a consulting opportunity. Is everybody ready? <laughs> okay. Yeah. How much do we get You're paid? You're going to be, oh man, you get paid. Uh, nothing. <laughs> Right, nothing, <laughs> but you're going to have a good time with me and David Bombal. I mean, that's, is that not reason enough to stick around? Definitely. Okay, you're the consultant and your client your, or your customer said, hey, we're getting just beat up by the application people. They're like, boom, 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 saying your network's terrible. Your network's awful. Blah, blah, blah. And they're like, you know what? I don't think it's a network. I just don't exactly know how to prove it. But we bring up Wireshark and we see these black lines with these red letters and we're like, oh no, oh, the sky's falling. The network's being ripped apart at the seams. So let's actually see what's really going on. So this was a PCAP and the complaint was that the network was slow. And of course, 
they put out a bid to upgrade everything to go from one gig to 10 gig and go from this ISP to the other ISP and upgrade their bandwidth and upgrade and upgrade and upgrade. Because what do you do when you have a problem? You just throw a bunch of money at it with no facts. So this is from a real client, yeah, that you had? <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And, and this is used with permission and as well. If you notice over here, packet size limited, what I do is I can cut the payload out. So all you see is the headers. Actually, it's a good time to, to mention this to people. If you, if you see down here on the bottom, like look at this packet, you see it says 15, 14 bytes on wire, but 90 bytes is captured. So what I, what I did is I used a tool from a buddy and I named, named Jasper. He's an amazing analyst. He wrote an application called Trace Wrangler. Definitely got to link that one down below. But what it does is it allows you to change addresses and cut out payloads. It just uh, anonymizes a PCAP. Yeah, it's a great tool. And thanks, Jasper. You're awesome. He's a fantastic analyst too. Okay. So SYN, SYNAC, ACK, what have we learned in those three packets? What's our network round trip time? There's our 97 milliseconds, right? All right. So SYN, SYNAC, ACK, our network round trip time is 97 milliseconds. All right. I'm going to store that away. What have I learned so far? I got to the server. He responded. He's got room for a new connection. I'm saying, great, thanks. So my three-way handshake completed. By the way, I'm going to come up here to view time display format, seconds since beginning of capture, just to just, just kind of start the stopwatch. All right. Handshake is successful. Client sends get to server. Hey, give me this. And there was so much data. There was a cookie and stuff in that um, in that request. It was so big that it actually spanned more than one packet. So we filled one that was 1460. And then we had some residual traffic that went on to the next packet. All right? So two packet requests. These just get fired off. So far right now, let me ask you, David, if you started an application and you were 104 milliseconds in, would you be punching your screen yet? Is it slow? Mm -hmm. <laughs> Maybe. <laughs> Probably, <laughs> yeah, yeah, maybe. Depends. It depends if I'm at. In, depends where I am in the world. Yeah. Yeah. Right. Okay. That's that's a good, well said. But usually, as humans, 140 milliseconds, we're not we're not too punchy just yet. We're we're pretty expectant, but that's still pretty quick. Quick. Packet six. I know my packets got there because packet six. If uh, if we look down into our sequence and acknowledgement numbers, by the way, tune in for TCP deep dive part two, where we're going to be going deeper into the sequence number and acknowledgement number, ladies and gentlemen. Coming down to acknowledgement number, my my get got there, received. It's just like when you uh, call up into a call center and you and you say, hey, how you doing? Uh, can I check that flight? And they're like, please hold. And then you say, okay, I'm just going to hold. I'm just going to sit here. I'm listening to the hold music. So 45 seconds later. Oh, wow. I didn't, I didn't see 45 seconds. Yeah. Okay. That's not too, that's not too long. <laughs> <laughs> right. 45 seconds later. Is it the server or the client? If I head check up here, clients start connections. They initiate the sins. The client is the one. 45 seconds later is like, um, cool. Uh, server, we still good? Did you disappear? Server comes back 99 milliseconds later, which is the network round trip time. You see 99 milliseconds, 106 milliseconds, 97 milliseconds. Those are things that my eyes look for, everybody. When I'm troubleshooting, I want to see, do I see any drift? Do I see a big drift in round trip latency? 
does does this go up to 500 milliseconds or 300 milliseconds? No, it's right around 100 milliseconds. The network latency doesn't change. So my stuff's getting there. Acts are getting back. Server's like, please hold. And, and I'm like, ah, okay, great. I wait another whopping 45 seconds. See, what's happening here, the TCP stack on the client wants to shut down. If I perceive that you're gone for too long, like, hey, look, I got other stuff to get to. I got I got to free this port up. So if we're not connected anymore, I got to move on. That's why it's going to try to keep it alive. Like, it's going to say, hey, uh, keep alive. And if you don't respond to this keep alive, then I know, okay, I can do a reset. You, d you disappeared. You left the, the building. But your stack comes back and says, we're still going. That means the applications haven't let go of that TCP connection yet. That state is still being maintained. Packet nine, we do it again. We say, keep alive. Server comes back. Yep, I'm still here. And check this out. This, this, this just when I saw this, 18 seconds after the second keep alive, the server comes back saying, here you go. Okay, here's your stuff. 15, 18 bytes. So, so what is that? Like a minute later, over a minute later, they got their piece of data, yeah? Well, let's go down and see time since request. You see time since request? There you go, nicely, yeah. We waited 108 seconds for this application to begin responding. TCP was just doing its job, keeping the connection open. The network could have done nothing else. You're talking about light speed, network round trip time of 100 milliseconds. There's zero amount of upgrading on the network that it would, would have improved this. Tell me, Chris, how much money were they going to spend before you got involved or was it just, just, just that they got involved? Look, I just go over and ask him. I just pull my pocket out and I'm just like, could you, you just put the money here instead? Because <laughs> that's more than I'm going to make on this consulting thing anyway. But no, um, I've seen, honestly, I've seen people... I, I don't even like to say it, but I've seen, I've seen one customer dump a million dollars into fixing something like this because once you start talking big box upgrades and you know and then the you know the sales guys get involved and it's like well you know uh you're at cap 5e you should go to six or you're at six and you should go to six whatever you know it's like then they, you start upgrading things that that frankly won't have any impact on the performance so i just it's just nice to have war stories so you you've got involved in situations like this where we're talking like a million dollars or whatever crazy money and you basically save the business the money because you could find something like this. Is that right? Absolutely. But here's the problem. A lot of times they don't call me until they've already spent it. And then it didn't work. And then the <laughs> manager's really mad and he says, we got to fix this, you know. And that's, uh, that's where we don't want to blindly just carte blank upgrade things without having basis that it's going to actually work. Right, and that's what packets can help us to do. So here in this case, we could have um, upgraded the network to Kingdom Come, but it wouldn't have adjusted or it wouldn't have improved our latency. So what we had to do is we had to move our point of analysis to the server side. This is about all we can get from the client side, right? Because the client just doesn't see what else is going on. So now we gotta go, okay, on the server side, I see requests coming in. What is that server doing next? Is it 
talking to some backend system that doesn't exist anymore? Is it just going back to some SQL box and it's just hammering that SQL box and that's really the cause of the end slowness? But here's what burns me up. So in this case, this is a war story. A lot of times IT organizations are large organizations with different uh, cost centers and, you know, payment methods and such. Well, the network guys, they brought me in to do this analysis to basically, we proved it wasn't the network but then we tried to get authorization to do some packet captures on the server side, and we never did. So anyway, I never got to know where that 108 seconds was going. But check this out. Uh, if I take that time since request, going back to filters, and if I say now, okay, time since request, let's do this. Let's just do HTTP.time is greater than, how about one second? That sounds bad. Show me any time you have a request that takes longer than one second to come back. Here I found... And I can come down here and I can actually, actually uh, add this as a column. And here, time since request. Check out the response times from this server. I had 108 seconds, which was the first one. Then one after it was like four and a half seconds. Then another was 4.7, then 30. And I said, I, I, so am I getting the right picture? When your employees sit down to try to load this application, they are legitimately waiting three minutes for this thing to actually start being, you know, up to three minutes. And they said, yeah, we start the, uh, they, we start the browser and we sit there for three minutes and then it populates and then things are, things are good. That's mad. And it's the network. Of course it's the network. <laughs> yeah, crazy, huh? So, so something like HTTP time, this is a great way to get an idea of application response. Now, you could do that for one, other applications. Sorry, Chris, to interrupt. That could be FTP, whatever it is. Yeah, whatever apps giving problems, just do that in on a capture on a client, and that will allow you to see if it's TCP or if it's an application. Well, it helps you break it down, doesn't it? Yes. So let me clarify that statement just a bit. It's not for every application. Wireshark needs to be able to interpret that there was a request in the dissector like it like it just did for HTTP. So it knows what gets are and it knows what posts are. And then when it sees a response code, it can it can merge those together. It knows th this time or this request went for that res request. Uh, this response went for that request. So it can do this for DNS. It can do it for HTTP. It can do it for a handful of other applications. But just just because we can do it for those doesn't mean we can do it for everything. So, but the big one, HTTPS, though. Uh, right. So HTTPS, we, we don't know what the request was. So we can't add the response in. But that doesn't mean that we're completely um, in trouble. Uh, you want me to show you what I do in those scenarios? Yeah, I think that I think for a lot of people, I mean, I want to I want to get that is like real world. A lot of apps use HTTPS today. It's great to see it in HTTP, but how on earth would I do that with HTTPS? Okay, David. So I'm glad you asked about the HTTPS because that's just the reality of what we're in now, right? So secure applications. We don't have a get string that we can filter on with a response. So. What I'm left to do in those scenarios, and I'll go ahead and take a look at this PCAP with you. Uh, this is an example of just a simple TCP thread. And what I'll do is I come in here and I'm interested in, take for example, I'm just taking a little walk down here. Oh, by the way, at the end I have quick, which is a whole nother animal. We'll save that for another conversation. What Wireshark is able to do is it's able to to make measurements based on not just the application, but it can also do it for TCP. Now, in this case, I just have a single TCP thread, but if I come down into TCP, let's check out some of the timers that it can find. 
You notice below options, I have timestamps. I'm gonna expand that. I've got time since first frame in this TCP stream. And this is the important one. Time since previous frame in this TCP stream. Right click, add as column. Why? Because when I have multiple TCP connections going in parallel, like in a real network, this is what you'll have. You'll have a lot of different TCP streams and they're not nice filtered connections like you see in a lot of my PCAPs that I use for demonstration. In a real environment, I wanna see TCP delta because that is that considers the context. So I can have nine TCP streams, all of them are going all over the place, but this counter is gonna show me what was the time from this packet to the previous one that was in this conversation, which delta time will only show me between this packet and the one immediately before it, whether it was a part of the conversation or not. And okay? it groups it together, does it? Uh, TCP delta will be in context. Yeah, is that what you meant by grouping? Yeah, so like in other words, it's not all jumbled up. You, you don't see all the sessions together. Like I see a line on the left-hand side, is that like it's grouped them together? Um, so you get the one conversation, yes. yeah. Yeah, good spot. So when I have, in this case, I have a single thread. So all of these are a part of the same thread. But if I had several going in parallel, uh, and maybe we'll do that on another video, where I'll see this line, but it'll break up where I'm on a packet that is not involved. Yeah. But TCP Delta is an important thing. In fact, if I come down, I can even now filter on this. You see down below in the lower left, tcp.time underscore delta. Now that's something I can filter for. So I can come up to the top and I can say tcp.time underscore delta is greater than, let's just say 100 milliseconds. Now I see all of the hiccups in that thread, even in a secure conversation. This is what my eyes do. I look at that first packet. This is from the client. The client is taking almost two seconds to change its cipher spec and continue with some application data. Note to self, the second one, this is from the application, taking time to get back to us. So to be honest, between the two of these, it would be more concerning to me this would be the one The I, I don't like to see server delay. Client delay, sometimes you'll see just when the client is entering in a password or just slow to go up and click on a bar. Boom, that's called client think time, client delay. In, in this specific case, I might wanna look a little closer. Why is it taking the client so long to do that? But usually in most cases, I'm gonna look for this server delay. Let's go ahead and remove our, uh, by the way, save this as a button. Call it TCP delay, put it under TCP connection. I'm gonna make sure everybody, everybody gotta know how to do that. This is a live class, you know, okay. <laughs> at, at some point I'm gonna have to give you, you're gonna have to like go through all those little buttons you've got then give us the uh, the ones that you've created. Oh man, we haven't even gotten to signatures and no, weird country codes and yeah. So, all right, so, but your question was, how do I do this with secure web? How do I troubleshoot in a secure environment looking for delays? Well, here's one of them. Look at the context. Around, I've got 20 milliseconds, 24 milliseconds, 24 milliseconds, 265, this is 10 times longer. And this is waiting for the server to come back for date with data. This is an example of something that would catch my attention if I was in a secure environment, even though I can't see the application request, I can still see the packets and the direction they're going in. I see a big packet go to a server. I see an ACK come back that's empty. That means the server got it. Then I time how long it takes for that server to begin responding. I don't care what the data is. 
I know it's not the network. It's so. a pity that the pity they didn't give you like half the money they saved, Chris. <laughs> that is a pity. <laughs> <laughs> Come on, man. <laughs> yeah, but it's no, it's it's, worse... it's sad, like you say. They they spend the money and then they get you involved rather than you know doing it the other way around. But sorry, you wanted to say something. No, I was going to ask the audience. Um, hey guys, uh, comment below. Do you want to do like a war stories thing? That would be fun. You know, That'd be great, I, yeah. I, I definitely. I've got a lot of different examples that would be fun to walk you guys through in some practical real life scenarios. I think the audience, you know, let us know. But I think, um, Chris, I think if you can give us like a war story and what would have been a better way to do it or how you save money, that would be great. Like practical stuff. Yeah, definitely. Saving money with packets. I can see it now. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. So, so back to filters. Uh, let me just see if there's any other ones that I haven't shown you yet. I'm just going to breeze through my, my buttons here. Slow IRTT. This is one that I use. Uh, in this PCAP, it doesn't flag anything, but we can see the what's behind this filter. tcp.analysis.initial RTT means round trip time is greater than one second. So I want to know basically that initial handshake that initial TCP three-way handshake, is that taking any longer than one second? If it does, network latency, what's going on? We got to take a look at why it's so slow. That's that would be I a like network problem. problem. I would look there first. Yeah. Like what's going on? Congestion. Uh, slow stuff. Uh, also DNS.time. So d- also uh, everybody can use that as well. So DNS.time, if I have uh, a DNS response that's taking longer than a second. It, this this number is always like a full second, right? So I could uh, do 0.1 would be 100 milliseconds, 0.01 would be 10 milliseconds. So just depending on your environment, what's normal and um, how far do we want to drift from normal before we start to hit this filter? Uh, tinkering. Oh, um, I, I, I'd be in trouble if I didn't show you guys how we can simplify our PCAPs. Honestly, so I get into a, an example, someone sends me a PCAP and they go, oh, I don't know. I don't know what's going on here. Uh, here's the IP of the client. And I can go, okay. Um, so I don't know a lot about what to filter for first. Okay. So, so if you're sitting back going, okay, I see how to build a filter. I just don't know which one to use. Well, you're not alone. I feel that way too sometimes. So what I do is I start out by going, you know what? I I don't know what it is exactly that I'm looking for just yet, but I know what I'm not looking for. I know that there's things that I can scoop out of this PCAP to make it smaller. For example, what if what if the the uh, application that I was troubleshooting here was not over TCP? What if it was over UDP? So I could say, no TCP. Get out of my way. Oh, it's over quick. Okay, at least I was able to cut down my PCAP. All right, let me show you what the one that I, I use actually quite a bit as far as removing things that I know are not involved. So I do, okay, not, open parenthesis, and then something honestly like ARP. Okay, if I can see that ARP is working well, get it out of the way. And then if I have a bunch of stuff on the network like uh, STP, so spanning tree updates. Okay, spanning tree is doing its thing. All right, get out of my way. Or CDP, okay, wonderful. We can see our link neighbors and so on. Get out of my way. I'm not interested in you. Or whatever it is, I can start to fill this out or LLDP or ETH adder equals equals. You can probably guess what I'm starting to build now. FF, 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 FF. Get out of my way. Now I have a way of just scooping that stuff out to simplify my filter. 
I'm still not sure exactly what it is, but I can, at least I can get some of this noise out of the way. That's a problem. It's all the noise, all those other packets that you've got. Yeah. And in some environments, that's a significant amount of traffic. So at least that gives me what's left over. And then I can start to, to come through, okay, this conversation, this DNS, and so on. I call this just the, I believe that I have, have this under no broadcast chatter. <laughs> I like that, yeah. I just say, just, just, just so get out of here. Is that exactly yeah. the same as you just built? Yeah. Oh, there you go. Yeah. But, yeah. Except for ICMP. ICMP and then yeah. as I learn more, I'll just add stuff to it. Like this is where I could say, or in this case, you know what? I'm not even looking for DCP. Let's get all my quick. Right. So the idea is I, I really want to just simplify these PCAPs to get them to be as simple as I can. And then I can dig through and start using these filters to to really try to find stuff. Now, um, as far as uh, while we're still on filters, maybe just to wrap up um, signatures, what I do I mean, and on this uh, profile, I don't have a ton of them, but I have a security profile with a lot more. What I did is I, I honestly just started studying Suricata and Snort signatures. And I started building Wireshark filters based on those IDS signatures. And that way, what I could do is I could start just ripping through here and, okay, weird TTLs. Like this one is a TTL that's less than 50 or greater than 30. The reason is because if I have a TTL that's in that range, well, it probably started at 64. That means I'm dealing with a network that is more than 15 hops away. And it's just in this weird band where it could be fabricated, right? Because a lot of times I'm not dealing with networks that I'm 25 hops away anymore, a lot of times. I'm usually with comfortably within the 10 to 15 hop range or even or less. Uh, this might be something I want to check out. I, I think I got that from a Circata signature. Country code, I could have USA, Russia, UK. Yeah, yeah Russia. Russia. That's a Russian country code if I want to see any traffic coming over from there. Um, there's some dodgy place over here. <laughs> so those guys, they're up to no good. Um, that's just a kept, that's how you catch all the David traffic, everybody <laughs> just do GIP country GB. And that's probably David talking to you. Um, a TCP sin with no options. That's weird. So here I have a TCP flag. It's going out and the TCP header length is 20. Super unusual. I should see TCP options. You guys uh, remember that from the TCP deep dive. I should see MSS, I should see window size, I should see timestamps, I should see that stuff. So if I see a sin with no options, no way, nah, that's not good. That's Nmap or something, yeah? Uh, that could be. I've seen that from Nmap and I've also seen it on a true scan, uh, some scan activity, and there was just no options in there. I'm not sure if they were using that tool or a different one. But yeah, but but either way, I know that's not coming from something real. Yeah, so so hopefully, uh, just to kind of recap a little bit, hopefully this doesn't overwhelm anyone, but we started simple with those IP filters, the conversation filters, the TCP port filters, and then we pivoted more into some of the performance filters. So like HTTP time, DNS time, Delta a TCP delta time. Those are great filters to use. And then we wrapped up at the end here with some security filters that I like to use where we're almost acting like an IDS at this point, just using signatures to try to see if we can find any weird traffic. So Chris, you said we could perhaps do a um, deep dive on performance, yeah, like slow networks. I think that's going to be a great topic to do. Yeah, absolutely. And honestly, those are, I have a lot of examples of that because That'd that's be what job. I get called to do. In fact, maybe I can tease everyone with this one. Um, I have one where they were literally getting ready to just 
gut replace the network because things were so horribly slow. And it came down to one little mini configuration. And I'll show you uh, what we found in the packets. <laughs> no, that's a good teaser. Chris, really want to thank you for your time. And I'm really looking forward to that because now you've, uh, you've made me very curious to know what that's, what, what that's about. But yeah, thanks so much for sharing your, your knowledge. You know, this is like years and years of experience that you're sharing here. So thanks for doing that. Hey, I have a lot of fun doing it. So thank you for having me on again, David, and appreciate everyone that watched. And please let us know how you liked it and what you want to see. Brilliant, Chris. Thanks. Cheers. Avocate.